This morning's scripture reading can be found in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Again, that's the book of Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. If you're visiting with us today in the Pew Bible in front of you, that can be found on page 1047. 1047. In Paul's letter to the church of Colossus, we pick up in chapter 4, verse 2, and it says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. It is good to be together to worship God. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. It has been beautiful weather outside, hasn't it? The type of weather that you just want to stay out a little bit longer and enjoy it and sit on the front porch and visit a little while. Does anybody do that anymore? It also is type of weather that makes you want to get out in the yard. Yesterday, probably some of you worked out in the yard, and your hands are calloused, and your back's sore, but maybe your yard looks better. And maybe that's good because maybe you needed a relief from your work that you did all week. Maybe you're facing challenges at work. How is your work going? Is your work going good? Are you pushing for that next promotion? Or maybe you're a basketball fan and this is your favorite month of the year. Hope your brackets have turned out well. I hope you're enjoying that a whole lot. It's a lot of fun to watch basketball all month long. Or maybe you're not a basketball fan, but you have little ones and you've been down at the softball field or the baseball field four nights this week. Hope that's turning out real well for you. And I hope you're enjoying that. What else could we talk about? You know, small talk. You know, the talk that a lot of us do 95, 98% of the time. You know, that talk that really never gets down to anything deeper than this earth. Things on this earth. I wonder how many times God must think as we pray to Him. Okay? Okay. I, I hear that. I, I can address that. Okay. And we're about to close out our prayer and God just kind of cringes and thinks, why did you keep it so shallow? I'm the almighty God and earth is so short and eternity so long and everything you just prayed about only dealt with the things that really in the big scope of things, they're so insignificant. Do you ever do real talk to God? That's horrible to say to an audience of Christians, isn't it? Do you ever, ever do real talk? But then let's say it this way. Does your real talk to God balance out your shallow talk? Could at least God say, well, sure, naturally, they're human beings. They bring to me things very oftentimes that are shallow, but, but yes, most of their prayers that they offer me are about things that are real, things that are eternal. In other words, when I say real, 
I'm talking about things that are heavy. Now, I feel like I need to give a disclosure to this to not misrepresent God or his word that he presents to us. First Peter 5 and 7, God tells us to cast all our cares upon him. I don't think God minds at all that we bring shallow things to him. As a matter of fact, in Philippians, the fourth chapter, and long about verse 6, 7, he tells us to be anxious for nothing and then tells us in all things to make our, our prayers and our supplications be known to God. And so the emphasis that God brings when he talks about prayer from one standpoint is if it concerns you, bring it to him. If it's something that is shallow and it is earthly, but yet it's on your heart right now, bring that to him in prayer. But I also would like to remind you of our theme verse of the year as we think about souls. And we think about Matthew, the 16th chapter and verse 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And back up in verse 23 of that very same chapter. Remember, it's where Jesus told Peter, and I know I'm going to remind you of this a lot this year. It's where he says, get behind me, Satan. Why did he tell Peter to get behind him? He says, because you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. I wonder how many times we close out our prayers and God's cringing because he says, everything you prayed about was about man. It had nothing to do with God, with eternity, and with the soul. Remember last week we mentioned Matthew the 10th chapter. Do not fear the one that can harm the body. But fear the one that can kill the body and the soul. Oh, we're quick to pray for safety, for safe trips, to keep our loved ones safe. We're quick to pray for a full recovery of someone we love and that a surgery goes well. We're quick to pour out those things that brethren, again, I'm not saying to you God doesn't care. I'm saying to you they are short-lived prayers. They're earthly any way you slice them. Have we done real talk to God lately? And is that our custom? Is that our habit? Do we pray fervently and deeply about souls, about eternal life, about our own spiritual life, and the spiritual life of those that we love and those that we work with and those that we live beside of? You see, when we see this study in Colossians, the fourth chapter, which by the way, we're only going to study one third of the text that was read this morning. And next week, we're going to study another third of it. And the next week, we're going to study the final third of it. And it's a very, very rich passage. And so as, as we lead toward a little simple it should be profound, though, in, in not that the exercise itself, but what it accomplishes should be profound and eternal. I want to ask you, if you're sitting on the end of a pew, there's a chance that there are some post-it notes there. And that is not to entertain your kids at this particular time. Uh, but if you will, take one and pass them down. And, uh, and, and I would like to ask you to just go ahead and just put it in the front of your Bible. Just go ahead, it's just a blank post-it note, and just put it in, in the front of your Bible. Uh, when those notes make it to uh, whichever end it makes it to, if you will, just leave them there for those that are part of, of late service, and uh, we can continue the same exercise there. 
Let's study together as we think about the book of Colossians and as we think about this book, I want to remind you just very quickly what leads us to the fourth chapter because I know we just opened this book afresh. Now, you can look forward to the month of August as a church we'll be reading through in our mailbox series the, the book of Colossians. But just know that the book of Colossians, one of the themes that we can give the book is that Christ is sufficient. When we look in the second chapter in verse 9, we see just the, the very core of, of the book. And it's powerful where he tells us about Christ. And he says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And so there we see that in Christ, he is the fullness. And, and that he can be the fullness in us. He can complete us. And if you were to read the verses above that and just a few below it, what you see, the context of that, is he's saying, we do not need Christ in anything else. You do not need Christ in human philosophy. You do not need Christ in traditions from men. You do not need Christ in even the traditions that come from the Moses law. In other words, Christ is sufficient. And then you go into the third chapter and what he very clearly and powerfully displays is that the sufficiency of Christ, Christ is enough to make you a new creation. Now that's pretty awesome. And so he talks about that new creation in the third chapter in verse eight. He talks about things that we would put off. And it's a list of things that you might say, I really struggle with those. I can't put those off. Well, with Christ, you can. Uh, he's not saying you'll become perfect on this earth, but Christ can help you become a new creation. And when we drop down to the third chapter in verse 12, you see he gives a list of things that you put on. And with Christ, we can put those things on. I'd like for us to read together verse 10 though, Colossians 3 and 10. And that put on, here it is, the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now, isn't that awesome? In the middle of the second chapter, he says, Christ can complete you. He is sufficient. He can do it. In the middle of the third chapter, he says, not only can he complete you, he can make you a brand new person. Well, what's he going to, how's he going to make me new? There are going to be immoral things and bad habits that he's going to help you get rid of. And there are going to be things that you haven't yet brought in your life of high, excellent virtues and character that he's going to bring into your life. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful description of this new creation. And if you have your Bible open there, you see in the third chapter in verse 18, he begins talking about what individuals would look like as this new creation. And he says something to wives, and the next verse husbands, and the next verse fathers, and the next verse children, the next verse bond servants. And then finally in the fourth chapter in verse one, very untimely chapter break there, he, he says, and also to the masters. So you see what he's done? Sufficiency of Christ. He can make you a new creation, and you're gonna look different in day-to-day -day living and day-to-day -day relationships. And that's the second to the fourth chapter. And then you come to the fourth chapter in verse two and he says, and Christ can make you sufficient in the way you use your mouth, the way you talk. Can you talk about the things that God would want you to talk about? And so that sufficiency is found in us having real talk. That sufficiency is found in us having real prayers. I'd like for you to look again at the text that was capably read a moment ago in Colossians 4th chapter. Look with me if you will. Open your Bible there, verse 2. Colossians 4 and verse 2. Notice how he says, continue earnestly in prayer. Now notice that, continue earnestly in prayer. What does that continue earnestly mean? Continue earnestly in, in 
the Greek is only one word there and it, it has to do with consistent. It has to do with diligence. It has to do with persistent. It even has to do with fervor. In other words, and, and you see the buildup with this. To me, the buildup is what makes this have some of its power. The buildup comes out of the second chapter through Christ you can have all sufficiency. You can be more than you ever dreamt of through Christ. And he goes in the second chapter, the third chapter to say, look at this new creation. You can be made through Christ. And that brings us to the fourth chapter where he says, now let's pray about that. And then this prayer life, what would a prayer life look like if the prayer life was formed by someone who was formed by the sufficiency of Christ? What if you're a new creation formed by the sufficiency of Christ? How would you pray? And he says, pray consistently. Continue earnestly in prayer. Your prayer is going to be so constant. Your prayer is going to be so much a part of your life that you wouldn't dream of going more than a few hours without stopping and praying. I love the example. And maybe you studied as a child. And if you have, don't discard it because you studied as a child. You remember the example of Daniel and Daniel, the sixth chapter, he and two other governors had great power, but they grew jealous of him. He just was so righteous. They couldn't stand it. And so they wanted to find fault. They wanted to humble him. They wanted to bring him down, especially in the eyes of the new king. And they couldn't figure out a way to do it. And finally, in the sixth chapter, they say, if we're going to catch him up, we're going to have to create some kind of law that catches him up about the law of his God. And so they trick the king into signing a decree that says for 30 days, you cannot petition any God or any man other than the king. Now, the king knew Daniel well. And I would guess that the king, after he signed it and figured out what was happening, he probably said to himself, I knew, I knew Daniel prayed three times a day. Why did I sign that? Because the king loved Daniel. But without consideration, he signs the decree being tricked by the other governors. And you know what Daniel did? I'd like to read to you a verse out of there. It's Daniel, the sixth chapter, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that's the king's decree, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Daniel, what are you going to do? Listen, just, just don't pray for 30 days. You, you can make it. Just 30 days. You don't want to be eaten by lions. Just 30 days. Daniel could not go a day without prayer. Daniel goes back and the Holy Writ not only records, as you just heard it read, that he opens the window and, and he kneels down and he prays, but he prays three times that day and then goes on to say, as was his custom, and then goes on to say, since his early years. In that one verse, we're getting huge insight to Daniel. For years and years and years since he was a youngster, he prayed three times a day. It was his custom. He wouldn't stop if the king demanded it and the threat was lions are going to eat you. And he says, there's something I cannot ever cease doing. I'll never cease praying. Does that describe you? 
that you can't imagine not partnering with God to go through a day. That you will cast all of your cares upon God. And sure, we're human. Some of them are going to be shallow earthly things. Physical, financial, health-related, wishes, etc. But do we constantly, fervently take to Him the heavy, real talk about our soul, about our relationship with Him, about our battle over temptation, about our loved ones and about their battle, about the opportunities that God is giving us at work or at home or in our neighborhood and community to share His good news with others. You know, it seems a little bit lighter, but I'll be honest with you, I read this story at the end of January and I can't get it off my mind. And so as I studied Daniel again, this story went through my mind. And, and, and I just want to share this with you. Some of you may have read it, but it, it really convicts me about our, our daily behavior. We see this German shepherd named Tommy. And Tommy lives in Italy. And in November, Tommy's master, an elderly lady, passed away. The last time that he was in this cathedral with his master was when her coffin was there. And no one had the heart to shoo him away from the coffin. He sat so quietly. And besides, everyone knew him. You see, for 12 years, every day in the afternoon when the bells in the community chimed, his master and Tommy would walk to the cathedral. She would enter in for mass. He would wait on the outside. And they did this every, year, every day for 12 years. That night in November... Tommy slept on the grave. Neighbors felt compassion for Tommy and so they fed and watered him. And that very next day when the bells chimed, Tommy walked into mass and sat in that exact location. That's not staged. Tommy has walked into that exact place and has sat very quietly throughout all of mass every day since November. And no one has the heart to shoo him away. If you had a little parrot that sat on your shoulder and that parrot just generally repeated whatever you said and you passed away, how often would that parrot pray each day? And if that parrot prayed, what would that parrot pray about? What is it that you do so continually that everybody that knows you whether it's a pet or a family member or a dear friend, they know that's what you do. They knew they could trip Daniel up if they could make a decree that says, don't pray because they knew Daniel continued earnestly in prayer. When we go back to our text, I'd like for you to look with me at that same text again, and I'd like for you to see the very next phrase where he says, continue in earnest in prayer. And he says, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Now notice this. He puts three things here in this rhythm. And notice, vigilant means to be awake, 
are to be watchful. We have an enemy. We ought to be watchful. He wants to destroy our soul and everybody that we love. But also we ought to be awake to what? To the power of God. We pray to God. Are we going to be awake then to see how God answers the prayer? Listen, there's no reason for us to pray according to James, the first chapter, if we're going to pray not believing that he wants a prayer. And so here Paul lays it out. He says, earnestly, continually take your petitions to God. But then as you do it, have your eyes open. First Corinthians, the third chapter, verse nine. We are fellow workers with God. God's going to open doors so that this prayer can be answered and you may be a part of the answer to that prayer. Are we going to be prayerful and then vigilant to watch and see? And when we see God work, are we going to continue with thanksgiving? God, thank you so much for answering that prayer. Thank you so much for working. I knew you would, God. Thank you so much. You are powerful. Now, I'd like for you to notice the next part, and it's the next slide, but it's the same verse. We just have something else um, in bold there. Notice where he says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And now he has a personal request. Meanwhile, and meanwhile simply means at the same time. So in other words, he's saying, while you are praying and while I am teaching you and encouraging you to pray, I have something else I want you to include in your prayers at the same time. And notice this request that he has, praying also for us, and here it is, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now, if we kind of did away with some of the commas for just a minute to try to grasp the fullness of this, notice his prayer is, I want, or his request is, I want you to pray for us that God would open up a door for the word. In other words, Paul knew throughout his life that he was in partnership with God. Will you pray that God will open the door? Why? Why do you want the door to open? Slice through all the commas for a minute and go to that last phrase, that I would speak as I ought to speak. And the word ought there has to do many times. That exact word is translated in the New Testament, must. And so he's saying, I want you to pray that I will speak what I must speak. In other words, it's not only proper words that he is wanting them to pray for him to say, but it is words that he says, I'm responsible to do this. I am a child of God. I am a disciple. I have a responsibility to share this with others. Now let's go back and work within the parentheses for just a moment. This is brilliant in the way it's written, which is no surprise being Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit. But notice where he says, when, when he says that God would open to, do, to us a door for the word. Now notice this, to speak the mystery of Christ. The word mystery there simply means that that was unknown or misunderstood. And he says, now because it's unknown or misunderstood, I'm sitting in prison right now. This is one of Paul's prison epistles. And he says, I'm writing from prison because it's unknown and misunderstood. But then notice the next phrase, that I may make it manifest. Mystery, unknown, misunderstood, manifest is to make it known. So he says, I want you to pray that the door is open for the word to be spread because right now there are people all over this world that the mystery of Jesus Christ, there's a basket over it. There's a bushel basket over it. They just can't know it. They can't know it unless somebody's willing to work along as a partner with God. And he's saying, I want to be that partner. I want to make it known, manifest it. I want to show it. And so he says, please pray that it will be shown that I will speak as I must speak. When we think about 
what we have just studied on this next slide, I'd like for you to think about these three things. From this text, we have studied that real talk to God is about souls. How much of our prayer life is about souls? Second, he prayed for open doors for other souls to be reached. And third, he prayed that when that door was open, that God would give him the wisdom, the capability to be able to speak proper words that he was responsible to speak. He felt the weight of this responsibility. And so he's begging others. And this is amazing to me, the humility of Paul. Here's a man that's a great apostle, a great preacher and teacher, a writer of holy writ. And yet he is humble enough to say, while you're praying, pray for me. Pray that God will open up doors and that I will say what I'm supposed to say, that souls will be reached. And so let's close this with something that is exciting. As we look on this next slide, I'd like for you to think about what if a thousand people in Mount Juliet began to pray three times a day, fervently and consistently for souls? Let's go to the next slide. What if on your post-it note this afternoon, what if you write at least five names and create another list for shallow things? God wants you to. But on this list, only put names that you're going to be praying for their soul. What if there are five souls that you pray for? And especially on this list, pray for souls that you believe are on the verge of leaving God, that they've never come to God. They're very confused right now and their struggles spiritually are very, very heavy. Pray for souls. And then remember the last two things. Pray also three times a day for open doors. But remember, Paul was saying, pray for us. And so it's not you pray for an open door just for yourself. It's you pray for an open door for yourself, but you pray for an open door for everybody that's a part of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And then what if your prayer is that, that you will be able to speak the words that you ought to speak, but then that everybody in this congregation would speak the words that they ought to speak. Friends, it, it, it's, it's humbling and it's also amazing to think what God can do with a thousand people that take real talk to him many times a day and say, God, we want to work as partners with you. What could God do? I don't know all the things that God could do, but I know that amazing and powerful things would happen if a thousand people prayed three times a day for specific souls, asking God to open specific doors and us be responsible to say what we ought to say. Coca-Cola, if you've traveled internationally, that's one of the things that kind of seems to be everywhere. Have you ever wondered why it's everywhere? How it got to be everywhere? Robert Woodruff at the end of World War II, was the CEO of the company. And he made a mission statement 
that he challenged everyone that worked under him to live up to. And his mission statement was, in my generation, it is my desire that everyone in the world have a taste of Coca-Cola. And in his generation, that almost came true. What if we had a desire that this year, this decade, everybody in Mount Juliet, everybody in a driving distance around us has the opportunity to drink of the living waters and we'll personally talk to them. We'll personally befriend them and invite them. It may seem impossible, but with God, it's not. What about you? We've been given a commission, more important than Coca-Cola, but we've been given a commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel. It's global. But for you and I, it has to start locally. What are we praying about? I hope you look forward to Friends Day. This lesson is not simply about Friends Day, but that is one really good open door to be able to invite and give people the opportunity to come. I look forward to seeing what God is going to do as we work along with Him. And let's all keep our eyes open and give Him the thanksgiving and the praise. This morning, if your soul is not right with God, the Lord extends an invitation at all times to come unto Him. If you're not a believer, if you are a believer, but you're not a Christian, we would love for you to repent of sins and confess before me and be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins. Maybe you have been a follower of Jesus, but lately you've lost the way and you want to come back to Him. There's not any of us here that are perfect by our own merit, but by the grace of God, we can all be forgiven. If we can help you come,